The Waco siege was one of those events that people talked a lot about when I was growing up, and it was always just kind of depicted as this crazy cult leader getting taken out by the government. And while that's mostly true, the events that led up to that point are arguably even crazier than the bonkers ending that got played on news stations all across the country. This week, we're going to talk about how weird David Koresh, the Branch Davidians, and a couple other characters in this story were this week on Our Weird World. Our Weird World. Hey everyone, and welcome to Our Weird World. I'm your host, John Henson. And uh, if you listen to the David Berg episode, uh, number episode number three, uh, you're going to be pretty familiar with how this story goes. Um, there are a lot of similarities here. Um, kind of the only difference was that David Berg really never got caught, and David Koresh did. So that's really all the introduction you need. Let's dive in. Vernon Howell was born on August 17th, 1959, to uh, 14-year-old Bonnie Sue Clark in Houston, Texas. And his father, Bobby Wayne Howell, quickly left her, uh, quickly left Bonnie Sue for another teenage girl who didn't have a kid. So already setting up for just a great start in life. All right, your mom is 14 years older than you. Your dad left without really ever meeting you. And it just, it, it was the start of a bad childhood. You know, nothing really ever dramatic happened. Like, for example, like um, Albert Fish, uh, a couple of episodes ago where, you know, he saw a horse get lit on fire. But, you know, Vernon still had difficulty in school. He was dyslexic. Um, he bounced between his mom and his grandma taking care of him. And it was just, you know, a really tough life. When he was 19, uh, Vernon got saved at a Southern Baptist church and he soon joined his mom, um, at a seventh day Adventist church. Now, seventh day Adventists are the group of Christians who have church on Saturday. Uh, they're generally vegetarian unless it's meat that's approved in the old Testament. Uh, they don't wear jewelry except for wedding rings. And they believe that the Catholic church is a creation of Satan. That's kind of the short, super short version of it. You can go look it up for yourself. It's like, just know that this is uh, not exactly a mainstream sect of Christianity, all right? So one day, Vernon was praying to God. Um, you know, he had his eyes closed. He had his Bible on his lap. And when he got done praying, he opened his eyes, and he immediately saw uh, Isaiah thirty four sixteen, And the part that stood out to him was the part that said, quote, None should want for her mate. I have no idea what that means. David uh, or Vernon, he eventually became David Koresh. Vernon immediately took that as a sign from God that he should go take the pastor's daughter as his wife. And to his credit, he actually had the balls to go tell that to the pastor. And the pastor had was not having any of it because his daughter was still a young teenager. And so he kicked Vernon out of the church. In 1982, Vernon moved down to Waco, Texas, and he joined the Branch Davidians, which was a sect of a sect of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So essentially, 
you know, it's like being a fan of Nickelback, but believing wholeheartedly that their merch guy was the most important member of the band. All right. So like he was already in a minority group with a weird reputation. But then on top of that, like he even people in the Seventh Day Adventist Church thought that the Branch Davidians were insane. All right. Um, a year into his time with the Branch Davidians, uh, Vernon got really close to Lois Roden, uh, and she was the leader of the Branch Davidian Church there in Waco. And Lois had a son named George, and we need to talk about George for a bit because his story, I mean, understandably, his story is lost in all of this, but he was super nuts. All right. George was born on January 17th, 1938 in a rural part of Gregg County in Eastern Texas. Um, his parents were the leaders of the branch Davidian church at the time. Um, when his father, Benjamin died in 1978, Lois assumed leadership of the church. And for a few years, George worked obediently under Lois with the assumption that he would assume the throne one day and lead the congregation. But when Vernon showed up, all those plans went up in smoke because Vernon got another message from God and he believed that he had to sleep with Lois in order to reach his full potential. And there was, uh, aside from, you know, probably being a, you know, a little bit of an issue, uh, Lois was 65 years old at the time. You know, Vernon was, you know, if it was, let's see, let's do some quick math here. Uh, he was born in 1959, so he was in his early 20s, all right? But, you know, that did not stop David from plowing Lois into the headboard every night, and that drove George crazy, partly because some weirdo had just showed up and started banging his mom, but partly because uh, George realized that Vernon was a threat to his own future power. So in 1984... Uh, George made an actually made actually a sensible move and he filed a lawsuit against Vernon claiming that he had raped his mom and had brainwashed her into promoting Vernon to a leadership position over her own son. Um, the lawsuit, though, it was quickly thrown out because uh, the court just saw how silly all of this was. But uh, but Vernon, he respected George enough and he decided to leave the Branch Davidian compound for a little bit. Um, the the problem, and unfortunately for George, Vernon took the majority of the congregation with him. Um, so although the Branch Davidians at that point had lost the, the bulk of their congregation, George really didn't mind because now he was back first in line to take over the church. And he quickly renamed uh, the compound that they lived at, called he called it Rodenville, and he videotaped a tour where he walked around the property carrying an M1 carbine, uh, you know, as a pointer, like a, a machine gun. And he was just using it to point things out, you know, and that's kind of like one of the most Texas things you can do. Um, he then declared that he was in a holy jihad with Vernon, and he kind of compared their conflict to that between Israel and Khomeini, uh, the Israel, the Iranian Shia Muslim leader in the 70s and 80s who was causing a bunch of problems. Um, but you know, despite George's threats, everything seemed pretty peaceful, uh, you know, up until, you know, even, even a few years after Lois's death in 1986. 
So while Vernon was out doing his own thing over the next two years, he recruited followers from California, Israel, Australia, the United Kingdom. Um, he personally made a trip to Israel where he claimed he had a vision where he would eventually wind up the martyr for the Davidians and he would set up the new eternal kingdom in Israel. And it was after this vision that Vernon officially changed his name to David Koresh. Um, David obviously is, uh, you know, to signify that he was from the lineage of King David, from whom the final true Messiah was to come, according to, um, you know, biblical prophecy. Uh, Koresh was the Persian name of Cyrus the Great, who freed the Jews from Babylonian captivity, uh, you know, during that part of the Bible where the Jews just changed owners more often than a tattered dollar bill. It didn't matter that, you know, David Koresh was completely making this up. You know, he just assumed this new identity and like came back to Texas and started with George Roden and decided to just take over. And at that point, George was not going to back down. And he challenged Koresh to a who can raise the dead better competition. And whoever, you know, and the rules were basically whoever could successfully resurrect someone from the dead would be declared the true leader of the Branch Davidians. And George thought that Koresh was totally on board with that. And uh, the truth was, is that David really wasn't, which somehow makes him the second craziest person in the story. Um, George went right out. He exhumed the body of Anna Hughes, a former member of the congregation who had been dead for over 20 years. Right. He, George took the body uh, out of the grave and he brought it into the Rodenville Chapel. He placed it on the pulpit and he tried not once, not twice, but three times to resurrect Anna's body by praying over it. Meanwhile, Koresh went down to the McLennan County Sheriff's Office to report George's corpse abuse. And the police, who could not possibly believe anyone would be this crazy, told Koresh that they needed to produce physical evidence of the crime in order for them to even take action. And thinking that that wasn't going to be very difficult to do, Koresh and seven of his followers armed themselves with assault rifles and broke into the Roden compound on November 3rd. And they planned to take pictures of the coffin in the chapel, but no one thought to bring a camera. They were too busy just grabbing whatever guns they could, you know, because Texas. So instead, they found George, who was hiding behind a tree and armed with an Uzi submachine gun. And the two sides started firing at each other and spent the sex or the ooh, excuse me, the next several minutes uh, just shooting at each other, you know, like a really bad action movie. George ended up getting shot in the hand and the chest, but he managed to escape and go tell the police. And that got Koresh and his followers arrested and charged with attempted murder. But thanks to America's fantastic justice system, Koresh and his group was found not guilty and got a mistrial declared. And then even more because it's Texas, they got their guns returned to them. You know, like... I mean, if people had just used a little bit of common sense, like the story should have ended right there, but it didn't. And for the next few years, Crash laid low. Meanwhile, George Roden, who I need to point out here, George Roden looked like Toby Keith. Like he looked like he and Toby Keith could be twin brothers. Um, just to kind of give you a little bit of visual there. Um, 
George Roden, he left Rodenville, moved to the town of Odessa in West Texas. And two years later, uh, George and his roommate, Wayman Dale Adair, got into an argument over who was the true Messiah. Like, how many people in Texas in the 1980s thought that they were the Messiah? Like, there's at least three people right here in this story. And Texas is a big place. So there's undoubtedly more people. And there are other cults and a couple of other stories that, you know, add on to this number that we may get to later on. But Adair, he thought he was the Messiah. And George believed that Koresh had sent Adair to kill him. And a fight broke out. George ended up bludgeoning Adair to death with an axe. Uh, George got arrested pretty quickly. He was put on trial for Adair's murder, but he was found not guilty by reason of insanity. And he was just, and he was sent to Big Spring State Hospital instead of jail. Well, at that point, all of Koresh's opponents were taken care of. And so David, he's uh, fully in control of the Branch Davidian Church at this point. And he starts arranging spiritual marriages uh, with both married and single women in his cult, including one 13-year-old girl that he eventually got pregnant. So, you know, just like David Berg, making the sex with underage girls. Um, The girl's parents were totally okay with this, by the way, since their other daughter was already Koresh's legal wife, which, worst parents ever, Hall of Fame, right there. Um, And... Koresh, he re- realizing pretty quickly that his followers were all complete morons, he then went on to start implementing this his own made-up doctrine that consisted of him, you know, molesting any woman he wanted in order to have enough children to rule over all of the divisions of his made-up eternal kingdom. And because all of this was done in the name of Jesus, everyone was totally okay with it. I mean, here's the thing. I, like, despite... My despite like I consider myself a Christian, like I, I hold to those beliefs, but I'm telling you what, like if one day every Baptist, Lutheran, Methodist, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, Wesleyan, Episcopalian, whatever, if every preacher announced that molesting little kids was not only okay, but was ordained by God and completely encouraged, I'm probably switching teams to something else, you know. Maybe go see what the Scientologists have going on. I mean, they, they, those beliefs seem to be working pretty well for their two dozen members or however many they got. But, uh, but yeah, but I just I don't understand how these cults and these cult leaders are able to convince people that pedophilia is OK. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't get it. But I don't rent sidetrack over anyway. Um on February 28th, 1993 is kind of where everything that you've probably heard about this story gets really ramped up. Uh, the Bureau of to- Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms decided to raid Koresh's compound because they had received several tips regarding the illegal stockpiling of weapons, including assault rifles and grenades. The The interesting part about this is that the Waco Tribune Herald had released a story a few weeks before from a former member that went into great detail about Koresh's statutory rape and polygamy of all of his members. And yet no one really seemed to care about that. It was when he started illegally stockpiling weapons. That's when people got concerned. And so the, the problem, you know, the, the ATF sent a mole in to infiltrate the cult, but he had already been discovered 
the Koresh was already on high alert that something was up, but the ATF went through with the raid anyway. And really because in their minds, the, the ATF didn't think that Koresh and his cult were really savvy enough to stand up against a federal raid. And they quickly realized that they were wrong pretty fast. Um, shortly after they showed up, one ATF agent was shot as he like tried to sneak over to his position on the west side of the building. Um, at, when the ATF kind of had helicopters start circling the compound, several of the Davidians began shooting at the helicopters with their assault rifles. Um, eventually, like four ATF agents were killed. Um, just before a raid could really get started. And at that point, the two sides agreed to a ceasefire. And for the next 51 days, the FBI went back and forth with Koresh and the Davidians by telephone, just trying to negotiate the release of the children, um, you know, even though they were totally destined to grow up completely scarred for life by all of this. Um, like, I, and, and, I'll give them credit, like trying to talk to someone for nearly two months without success has to be a super frustrating thing. Like I give up on conversations after about 30 minutes if I don't hear back from someone. Um, But eventually the FBI ran out of patience. And on April 19th, they started lobbing tear gas and grenades into the compound. By noon, the Davidians set fire to the building. Uh, David Koresh was killed by his top aide, Steve Schneider, in a murder-suicide. And by the end of the day... 76 people inside the compound died. And as, as history has gone on, that's kind of just been the end of the story, but we cannot forget about George Roden and all of this. All right. <laughs> Cause he's still out there. Like he's still, you know, in the mental institution. And so later that year on September 30th, uh, George escaped from big spring state hospital And by escape, I mean, he literally just walked out without anyone noticing. So it wasn't really an escape. You know, it was just poor management. And for the next 10 days, Big Spring Police, Odessa Police, and the Texas Rangers searched for Roden. And they eventually found him in Abilene and took him back to the hospital. Uh, Two days later, the Texas Department of Mental Health and Mental Retardation's Dangerous Review Board, that's... I swear to God, that's the name of it, uh, declared that George was not manifestly dangerous, but they kept him in the hospital anyway. George disagreed with that decision and he escaped on his own again. Three days later, he was captured outside of the Israeli consulate in New York City. And he was found because he started throwing a fit when the Israelis wouldn't give him a visa, despite George claiming he was Jewish. He wasn't. And that hitmen trained by the Palestinian Liberation Organization were out to kill him. Like, George is clearly insane at this point. Um, but they found him, they arrested him, they took him back to Big Spring State Hospital. On December 8th, 1998, George escaped for a third time because apparently Big Spring just doesn't employ any sort of competent security. But uh, unfortunately for George, before he could get off the property, he suffered a heart attack and died. And that is really the end of the story. There you go. Crazy, right? Like, you probably heard the story of of just kind of the raid and the standoff and all of that. And so that's kind of why... I 
gave sort of a higher end view of it. You know, it didn't really go into the details of it because you know that agents showed up with tanks and they bombed the place and the, the, the compound was set on fire and a bunch of people died. And so, you know, rather than go over a lot of what most people already know, I like to go into the un, the, the lesser known sides of the story. And so that's kind of what we're going to do here. Um, but what did we learn from all of this? What did we learn? Number one, if someone tells you they're getting direct messages from God that involve having sex with your wife, go ahead and put that one in your spam folder. Number two, if someone challenges you to a who can raise someone from the dead first competition, go ahead and report that person to the authorities. And number three, if the government shows up at your door with tanks, regardless of what you believe, whether you were right or wrong, you should probably just do what they say. Next week on Our Weird World, I am going to tell you the story of John Brennan Crutchley, a weird, creepy little man from Florida. Where else? Um, This one's pretty underrated, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So uh, thanks for listening. Tell all your friends and keep it weird. 